Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone. This is Stephen Moe, and welcome along to this special edition of Seeds Podcast. Now, it's special because I literally just finished recording this session only about an hour ago, and it was a panel discussion talking about the state of impact investing in Aotearoa. And a really huge thank you to the panelists, David Woods from the New Zealand Green Investment Finance and the former chair of Impact Enterprise Fund New Zealand, Rangi Maria Price from The Connective, Louise Aitken from the Akina Foundation, Rebecca Mills, the founder of The Lever Room, Liam Sheridan, the CFO at Foundation North, Pip Best, the EY Oceania Climate Change and Sustainability Services Director, and she also spoke in her role with the Aotearoa Circle, James Palmer, the CEO of Community Finance, which has a focus on social housing, and Mark Ingram, who gave us the perspective from Melbourne, where he is the Chief Impact Officer at Brightlight. And if you look in the show notes, if you click their names, you'll be taken to their LinkedIn profiles. So make sure you check out more about what they're up to. And each of them give brief introductions into what they're doing today and offer some insights about what they're seeing in impact investing. Then we get into some conversations around some of the key themes which we're seeing across the sector. And then we answer some of the questions and answers that were posed by the attendees. If you enjoy what we're talking about here, then it's likely that you know somebody else who would as well. So why not consider sharing it with them? Seeds Podcast is an initiative where usually I'm interviewing people about their lives. For example, the latest was with the Honorable Poto Williams, who's the Minister for the Community and Voluntary Sector. So it was fascinating to hear about her life. And this is episode number 205. But I also like to take the chance to mix things up a little bit, because that's more interesting for me as well. And if you're listening in a podcasting app, why not hit subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes? And just before we get into the session, a huge thank you to the organizations behind the scenes who offered support, including the Impact Investing Network, Foundation North, Brightlight, The Lever Room, the Center for Social Impact, Community Finance, Akina Foundation, Seeds Podcast, and Perryfield Lawyers. And a special shout out to CSI, who let me use their Zoom account for this session because we had so much interest, and to Jade Tang Taylor for being a behind-the-scenes tech whiz during the session. Now let's turn our attention to this fascinating topic of the state of impact investing in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Kia ora koutou, kia ora tātou. Um, tēnā koe e tipini, mihi ana kia koe, kia koutou mā te whānau, koe huihui mai tēnei rā. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou i rungo i te karanga i tēnei rā, i rungo i te kaupapa hoki o impact investing. Kia kara kia tātou. Rapua, 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 kia wānanga, wānanga ki uta, wānanga ki tai, kia wānanga te tikanga. Te tikanga anuku, te tikanga rangi, kia hua te tikanga, kia pupuki te mahara, o haumi e, hui e, tai ki e. So I've just started by actually bringing all of the elements into this tipia hui today, just so that we create the platform for us to be able to have a rich discussion um, and just to commune and fellowship together. So kia ora. I'll hand back to you, Stephen. Great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And uh, welcome, everyone. Kia ora koutou, ko Stephen Toku Ingoa. Um, it's great to have you here. I'm really excited at the interest level in this topic of impact investing. Um, so just before we get into hearing from our panelists um, and their different perspectives, I just wanted to give a little bit of background to how we got to today. 
Um, basically, I've been reflecting a lot about impact investing recently because I'm working as a lawyer talking with lots of people and it just keeps coming up in conversation. And fortunately, it kind of intersects with the fact that I've been doing a podcast. So I'm quite used to talking with people about what they think. And I thought, wouldn't it be a great idea to just bring people together? So I reached out to the amazing panelists that you see here and asked if they would mind sharing their perspectives. Um, and I just want to thank in advance the panelists. Um, I really appreciate their insights and their wisdom. And I think you'll agree when you hear them speak that we're hearing from a really amazing cross-section of what's happening here in Aotearoa. I also want to say a thank you to CSI who've allowed me to use their account because there kept being more people who wanted to attend. And so really appreciate that. Um, we're not going to be doing in-depth bios for everybody. We're, um, instead, with the link that you've gotten to join this, there was a Word document. So I know you're probably multitasking and perhaps you can just click into that in order to be able to read the bios and find out more about the people who are presenting today. Um, I also, so in terms of the next steps, what we're going to do is have each of the panelists share briefly about some of the things that they're involved in. And I've asked them to highlight one key thing that they would like to share with the rest of us about what's happening today in impact investing here in Aotearoa. After that, we're going to be moving into a discussion of some of the themes that emerge from those initial statements. And then we're going to be looking at Q&A. So some of you have emailed me beforehand, but also there's the Q&A function within the webinar. So feel free to type in a question that you've got. And then um, I think you'll be able to vote on each other's questions. So that will be a way to see which questions are the most popular. So that will be how we kind of finish our session. And I'm aiming to finish at about one o'clock, but if it's going well and we have more things to say and there's interest, then we may go a little bit beyond that. Um, I'll also be editing up the conversation as an audio file, making that available later today as an episode of Seeds Podcast, um, episode 205. So now we're going to hear from our panelists and I've asked um, David Woods if he would mind leading off. Um, David, I'm really interested in your perspective because you bring um, a global background having been involved overseas. Um, a little bit about what you're involved in. So over to you. Thank you, Stephen, for the introduction and for arranging this. Um, when New Zealand was looking at joining the Global Steering Group on Impact Investing a couple of years ago, the chairman, Sir Ronald Cohen, reckoned that by 2020, we wouldn't need the Global Steering Group anymore because impact investing would be the norm. We're not quite there, but we're certainly getting there, and we see that all the time in Aotearoa. Uh, I think two things, you asked me to highlight one thing, but I'm going to highlight two. One is the move we're seeing in convergence between impact investing and other forms of responsible and purposeful investing with all of the community trusts and all of the different stakeholders around the country. And in particular, seeing this in the so, uh, sustainable finance forum and the work being done there, because everything seems to come up to the Sustainable Finance Forum and give us a, a, a very useful way of talking about it with both government and private sector stakeholders. But I think the other thing that's really encouraging is the emergence of measurement science and the emergence of measurement science at, at both ends of the scale because this makes it much easier for mainstream institutional investors to contemplate 
impact investing, which is often illiquid and unlisted, but if it can be measured accurately and properly, they can still participate. New Zealand leads the world at the bottom end of the scale in providing not-for-profits and philanthropists with feedback on the way their investments and their grants are having particularly social impact. At the global end of the scale, you have a project being run by the Harvard Business School using environmental impact data, which later this year will tell 2,000 global companies without asking them for any information, just using what they have publicly produced, what their financial results might look like if they took environmental impact into account as well. And I think that will make for a really interesting debate in the next year or two. Thank you very much. We're going to move now to Rangi Maria. And Rangi Maria, I'm really interested in your perspective because I feel like, in a way, what we're talking about has been around for a, a lot longer than we, you know, we're using the term impact investing. But if you look at Te Ao Maori, it has a very different perspective and a longer term generational perspective. I'd be really keen for your insights. Well, I agree there, Stephen. I think this is really where the world of impact investment is starting to move towards a Māori worldview. But um, just to give a bit of background, in my last two years as CEO of the Amukura Iwi Consortium, um, with and behalf of Taitukura Iwi leaders, I collaborated closely with um, Ian Short, now my partner in The Connective, John McCarthy, Cyril Howard, uh, Stephen Tyndall, and lately um, uh, Foundation North to develop a platform called Te Pairo Te Kau Te Taitokero, uh, Transforming Taitokero for Good, which we believe is Aotearoa's first tikanga-led impact investment platform that is um, designed, owned, and led by Iwi Māori. Um, as a result of this collaboration, Ian and I formalised the Connective, which now includes Joe Kelly, um, leaving Te Pairoa Tika in the capable hands of um, CEO Jody Kirikiri uh, Tabua and her team, who I think are online with us here today. Um, so with the Connective, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to work with all types of investors, not just the ones that identify as impact investors. Um, so we help people who are interested in taking a more systemic view of how they invest in and for regenerative and inclusive outcomes. And for Māori, this is about bringing the practice and tools of systems thinking and impact investment to support them to invest in alignment with their own tikanga or kaupapa, their values and principles, rather than the opposite, which is usually the case where tikanga is seen as a bolt-on to sustainable or, or impact investment. So what I'm seeing in the Aotearoa impact investing world is, uh, frankly, um, the state of the impacting of impact investing in New Zealand is kind of reflective of the makeup of this panel. So there's a great community of really committed people like Jamie from Soul Capital, the Tyndall Foundation, Bay Trust Foundation North and others who are willing to push the impact investment agenda forward, which is just great. But I think the real future of impact investing here, I believe, is in genuinely unlocking and learning from the ancient wisdom that's in the whakapapa of this land, held in the richness of Te Māori. So while I think it's great that we can access the processes and tools and networks from around the world, I think ultimately, Impact investors in New Zealand, if they're really wanting to shift the dial, will we'll learn a lot from operating in this space with a mindset of partnership and mutual learning from Te Māori values. And of course, this is all about understanding the existing system, existing system and mindsets, 
who holds the power and influence, flipping that script by decolonizing it and then having the ability to articulate a vision for the economy that's different to the one we're currently working with. And so this is where um, Māori really have a big head start on the mainstream. Impact investing is not niche or new for Māori. It's called investing. Systems thinking is not new to Māori. We always look at the world that way. So what we have on our own doorstep is intelligence that's more commercial, sustainable, kinder, and enduring that we've been either ignoring or pushing to the margins. And if it's margins that drive you, it's the difference between doing good and doing great. Kia ora. Great. Thank you so much. That's, that's really good. And I hope we can come back to that theme as well um, and hear from other panelists for their thoughts on that. Thank you so much. Um, we're going to turn now to Louise. Um, Louise, I'm curious about your perspective because I know you deal with lots of impact enterprises, um, people who are um, shifting the dial, doing things differently. And I'd just be curious in terms of access to capital and yeah, any thoughts that you've got in, um, from wearing your hat from Akina Foundation, but also your involvement with the um, Impact uh, Investing National Advisory Board. Uh, over to you. Kia ora, tēnā koutou katoa, ko Louise Takungua, ki Akina Foundation, Ohimahiana. Uh, tēnā koe rangi mai, it's very, very hard to go after you, but so thank you very much for your, for your mihi there. Um, yeah, so, and um, it, is, it is an exciting space and it's interesting um, sitting here, you know, three years ago, uh, we launched uh, New Zealand's first impact investing fund and it is extraordinary to think that three years later, 260 plus people are, are wanting to talk about impact investing so that really shows the development not only of the interest but certainly of the market here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, we see it both from the um, the investor side and the investee side. Um, from the investor side, there is a uh, you know there is a significant um, increase in the capital available and the leaders in this space and some um, uh, Rangi Mario mentioned the Tyndall Foundation, Foundation North, uh, Bay Trust, the Well and Entity Trust, the organisations who are starting to think about how they can activate their capital in order to get the impact that they have always been focused on through their, their foundations or their granting system. And that's really exciting for us to see foundations and community trust moving um, in that regard. But also mainstream investors starting to understand that they can uh, gain an uh, impact through their investments and, and how do we create that market where whatever investment they are wanting to have, there is vehicles for that. So that's really exciting for us to see, but it's not, it, it's, it, it is still difficult. Uh, in, in our investment fund, uh, we have, we've just made our fifth investment, but we've reviewed 460 organizations to get to that point. Not all of those um, have been obviously right for us, different stages, different impacts that maybe don't align, uh, but that's a significant amount of work that, that is needed in order to be even getting uh, a you know a, a 200 of a 300 to one uh, investment ratio on the other side um, when we are looking at uh, organizations who are wanting to gain impact investing there is a um, significant amount of work that needs to be done to create that pipeline we see uh, a, a huge amount of um, demand needed for capability building how can you become investment ready what are the um, the supports that you need to be able to measure and value your impact how do you align that with potential investors how do you have a conversation that is deeply impactful but also brings the the financial financial requirements in order to make that investment um, 
Uh, successful um, and so lots and lots of work needed in the ecosystem there we need lawyers banks accountants the whole system to understand and value impact and be able to bring their skills uh, into the ecosystem to be able to accelerate the the delivery of capital, the right forms of capital to the right organisations. So uh, we are on a journey, uh, but it is really exciting to think uh, where we might be in three years' time. And I challenge everyone here to think about what is the activity they can do today, whether it's learning more uh, about what impact investing is, whether it's actually being um, engaged and, and being part of the conversation, or whether it's really thinking about what, what journey they need to go on in order to be able to activate capital or activate the um, the demand side to be investment ready. That's great. Thank you so much. And I'm sure these are themes that are going to come up again. Um, just turning to Rebecca Mills, thank you for joining us. And um, just from the Lever Room's perspective and the Build Back Better report that came out um, just when we're in that first lockdown, just really keen for your perspective on, on where things are at. Sure. Thanks, Stephen. It's great to be together today and thanks very much Stephen for the invitation. So my name is Rebecca Mills and I whakapapa back to Wanganui and Maniapoto, currently living under the protection of Ngāti Whātua Ōrāke in Tamaki Makora, Auckland. So for background context, I'm the founder of The Lever Room. So at The Lever Room, we believe we're New Zealand's oldest specialist impact consulting firm, and we work both locally and internationally, helping partners grow organisations and investments for more than financial return. So we work from a systems perspective and at that intersection between research, investment, sustainability and innovation. So Stephen's asked us as panellists just to take a couple of minutes uh, to explain what we're involved in and what we're currently seeing in the impact space. So I'll just give a couple of examples of work that you might be interested in and one relevant insight. Um, so currently at the Lever Room, amongst other things, we're helping to one, grow New Zealand's impact economy and two, grow our collective impact strategy to build back better in the post-COVID-19 world. As part of this work, in April, we convened a cross-sector group which included fellow panellists David Woods and 20 other leaders to produce a practical framework on how to fund a resilient recovery and make prioritised investment decisions with an impact lens post-COVID-19. So we posed this question, which is, what do we want the organising principles for the future to be and how can we act now to ensure that future? The resulting principles for optimised recovery have become known as the prosperity principles. And I'm really pleased to share today that we've had significant uptake around the country across central, re regional, local government, iwi Māori, business and the philanthropic community as well. Many organisations now using these principles as a guide for their future strategies, ultimately building our impact economy. And you can download your PDF from the Our Thinking and Research tab on our website. Also, early in this year, we've uh, produced a draft map of New Zealand's impact economy ecosystem, and we're really grateful for the partnership with Well Energy Trust, the National Advisory Board for Impact Investing, and a number of Māori leaders who supported this work. The map includes clear positioning for impact investing, is grounded in Mataranga Māori, and we created it so that every New Zealander can see where they sit within the investment ecosystem. Again, an A3 is also freely available on the same tab on the website, and we're soon to be publishing a final version um, soon, so uh, that will be also be available. Finally, to Stephen's prompt of what we're currently seeing in the space, 
while I think it's exciting to see growth in the market and also the acknowledgement that climate change will have a significant effect on New Zealand's financial systems, one thing we're also seeing is the growing interest from iwi Māori groups as well as government in this space. And we're particularly excited about what this could mean for the future of blended finance, where public and philanthropic money is leveraged to reduce the risk from investments from the private sector. Kia ora. Great. Thank you so much, Rebecca. That's really excellent. And what we're going to do now is turn to Liam from Foundation North. And a big thank you to Liam for stepping in because Peter um, Tynan had a bereavement, so he wasn't able to join us. Um, but I think many of us will be interested in your perspective um, there at Foundation North. Um, what are you seeing and what are you getting involved in? Over to you, Liam. Uh, uh, kia ora. Uh, Stephen. Uh, I'm Liam Sheridan. I'm the Head of Finance at Foundation North. Um, we've been on, it's often said people are on a journey. We have been on a bit of a journey with um, impact investing and in fact at one time or another we've sought advice from um, most of the people who, who are on the panel. Um, I mean I guess Going back to first principles, our purpose is to enhance the lives of the people in our rohe. And we've come to a realisation over a period, um, and it has almost become a cliche in this impact investing space, that we could and should be using our balance sheet as well as grants expenditure to enhance lives. And in fact, using the balance sheet and investment is peculiarly well suited to um, the intergenerational equity that we feel we need to deliver to our communities as well. Um, a slight detour on, on what we've done in the past, we've looked at um, investments in the form of grants with conditions, one of the conditions being repayment, of course, and we'd certainly still be open to that for the right opportunity. Um, more recently, we've tried to explore using um, our grants budget for impact investment and for a number of reasons related to trust deeds, legislation, and to a limited extent accounting, that didn't really work. That was disappointing, but we learned a lot, um, which I think has set us up well for the future. More recently, we've changed um, our tack. We've changed our statement of investment policies and objectives, our SIPO. We've made a specific allocation in our investment asset allocation. Um, and we've worked a lot more closely on impact investing with the same advisors who work on our existing investments, which I guess in a way uh, loops back to David's points at the start about um, impact investing becoming a lot more mainstream. We're really keen to proceed now, and again, in the very recent past, we've come to the conclusion that the best way for us to proceed um, is to become a cornerstone investor in a fund that we help to co-design. And we're working on that with a number of parties at the moment. I mean, the issues that we see are very similar to um, the other um, panellists. There, there is an issue of... Um, the, the pipeline for impact investing, and I'd like to give a shout out to Akina, who has done some very hard yards over the past few years on trying to get um, organisations' investment ready. 
Um, on, a, on, a, on a really positive note, however, what we are seeing is a really immense movement, I think, among iwi to become partners in impact investing, and I think that can only be good for the future of our country. So I'll leave it there. Thank you. Great. Thank you. It's, it's wonderful to hear all these perspectives, and I'm sure the people who are listening, um, I, this panel is great because we're jumping from so many different perspectives. Um, I want to highlight as well, we do have that Q&A, so I see some people are starting to type in questions there. Um, feel free to add more because we are going to come back to that. Um, James Palmer, I'm just going to put you on spotlight. I'd um, love to turn to you and um, just ask for what you're involved in and um, give us your perspective. And the one disclaimer is that I'm the chair of community finance, which you're about to talk about as well. <laughs> yeah. Kia ora, everyone. Uh, Honour to be here, uh, especially with this panel. Um, and it's exciting to be talking about impact investing in Aotearoa, isn't it? I, I think just to start with, Impact investment is already here, so I'll talk a little bit about community finance too, but yes, we're on a journey and, and we're not where I think we all want or need to be, but this is already a reality, so that's exciting. And there are options already available to, to all of us. And the thing that I've learned just even over the last year has been that every dollar that we control is a chance for us to vote with that dollar about the sort of world we want. And that's actually quite powerful. So, you know, for everyone here, I'd just like to say, you know, whether you're with a KiwiSaver provider, a fund manager, if you're a trustee, there are already options available and we need to make sure people know that we want to start investing in a, in a more positive future. Uh, so my role is I'm CEO of an organisation called Community Finance. And we set that up last year with a variety of uh, foundations, many of whom have already been mentioned here. Um, it'd be nice to sort of single out Tyndall Foundation, Lindsay Foundation, Wilberforce Foundation, Matua Foundation, and Christian Savings. All groups who came together and, and saw that there are so many opportunities to invest in our communities or in sustainability, but it's not always been traditionally easy to do so, a, a common theme we've all talked about. And so we've launched with a real focus on the housing crisis, uh, one of the real tragedies of our country that affects all of us. Uh, and, and sadly, for 30 years, it's been progressively getting worse. And so we saw a way there to make it accessible for investors to invest in the solution. And that is, you know, it's, it's not rocket science. It's warm, dry, stable, secure tenure houses. And so we've been delighted to launch last year with a project with the Salvation Army, and that was 118 new social housing units in Auckland. Uh, that's just the beginning. But I, I think just to show you how this is already here, you know, for there, we've already advanced $17.5 million. Uh, next month, we'll be above $20 million in the space. And, and, you know, I think we're seeing a, a real increase now in momentum and investment. Uh, and would like to also thank Liam. So you, you may have seen the news last week, Foundation North were one of the uh, new investment partners there. So it's great to see the leadership from Foundation North. So for everyone, you know, this is a journey, but there are already options. And I think this is the chance for us to really step up. We have the wonderful example that we can take from Māori. I uh, agree with those comments, you know, seeing land not as a commodity, but something to be good stewards of. Uh, means there are just so many opportunities for us. There are organisations, including ones we all represent, that are here now doing this. So my one is let's step up. And on investment returns, it also doesn't have to be something that we feel is underperforming. Um, there's a spectrum of impact investment available. I know even for us, you know, we, we're offering for the Salvation Army Community Bond 
above a 2% per annum return. The five-year term deposit rate right now from the main banks, I was just looking this morning again, is about 1.4%. So, you know, again, you know, I think the, the lesson for all of us here is that we can invest in a brighter future and it doesn't have to be at the expense of a financial return. So kia ora. Thank you. Great. Thank you, James. And I think these are, we'll come back to some of those themes that you raised because I agree with, um, with what you're saying. We're going to turn now to Pip, Pip Best. And I'm keen from, from, from hearing from you just things that you're seeing. And um, I know that you have a, a real focus on climate change and sustainability, um, but also keen about the Aotearoa Circle. Some people may not know what that is. So we'd love to hear from you. Sure. Kia ora, everyone. Um, so um, uh, my name's Pip Best. I run EY's Climate Change and Sustainability team. Um, I do think that I should probably focus on the work that we do um, as a secretariat to the Sustainable Finance Forum, though, for just for this audience, because it it is, um, I guess, an incredibly important um, piece of work that we're looking to deliver in November this year. Uh, and really, um, the purpose of the Sustainable Finance Forum uh, is to transform our financial sector so it delivers or it makes financial decisions that encompass environmental and social outcomes. Um, and uh, as Rangi Maria was saying at the start, you know, we actually are in a very privileged position where we've had this type of thinking um, in Aotearoa, New Zealand for a significant um, period of time through the Maori worldview. Um, and our, I guess, the position of the Sustainable Finance Forum is that we, we're actually trying to, I guess, bring mainstream financial sector towards the impact um, space. Um, and, and that is because, I guess, our vision is that the financial system, uh, every, every part of the financial system should actually be contributing to, I guess, oh, an improvement in, I guess, the, the holistic well-being of um, HRO in New Zealand, rather than maybe just focusing on um, financial contributions. Um, and so I just thought I, if I would just touch on some of the areas that, that this work is covering. Um, and it does, as David Woods was saying at the start, try to, I guess, bring a lot of the different things that are going on um, together. So we are looking at, you know, what what needs to be done to, to improve the inclusiveness of finance. Uh, so again, the underlying um, premise is that, that financial services are a utility um, and therefore everyone should have access to the financial services, um, basic financial services and financial services that they need. So we, we are looking at that particular area Area. We're looking at um, uh, ways to really accelerate um, uh, investment into impact spaces. So um, whether that be through the work that Akina is focusing on in terms of you know, are the company structures that we have in New Zealand um, enabling um, impact investment? Uh, are we seeing innovative business structures um, being able to thrive? Um, and then also looking at things like how do we avoid greenwashing? So do, you know, are, are there measurement methods, um, again, which I guess David, David can speak to quite well, and are there standards required? So um, as we we do mainstream impact investment, we do make sure that um, we maintain the integrity. So the Sustainable Finance Forum, as I said, is looking to issue their final report in November. Uh, we're doing a significant amount of consultation on it at the moment, and it does uh, cover a broader set of issues than I have just covered there. So again, reporting um, is, is a huge area of focus um, and also how we change the mindset of um, 
of organisations, etc. So it, it is quite broad. Um, there is an interim report that, that is already available that really does set out the why we need to make this transformation and, and the focus areas um, of the initiative. Um, but I do think that just that, that is probably the most um, important thing that I should uh, discuss at this point. I, I maybe just I will just add we also do do a significant amount of work um, in the green bond space um, again working on standards to maintain the integrity of that particular sector um, and again how that is starting to link up with other um, the reporting around green bonds etc is starting to, to link into leading practice in impact investing so that's another area um, if, if people do have any more questions um, or want any more information on that that, um, that we do do a significant amount of work in. That's great. Thank you very much. And I think um, for all the panelists, maybe if there's reports or if there's websites or anything like that, feel free to email them to me and I'll just put them in, an, in a follow-up email so everybody can see those. Um, and keep the questions coming to the Q&A because we will get to that at, at some point. Um, Mark Ingram, um, you're the final person in our panel. Thank you for joining us from Australia. Um, but you have some New Zealand connections, and I know you're active in New Zealand. So I'm just curious if you can give us a bit of a perspective um, from outside of New Zealand, what you're seeing, and any thoughts that you'd like to share. Thank you. Thank, thanks, Stephen. Kia ora, everyone from lockdown Melbourne here, where I can get around the block with my dog, but nothing else. Uh, right now, but and you're right, Stephen. We're very much uh, the rookies to impact investing in New Zealand. We're here to listen, learn, and contribute where we can. And yes, I'm looking forward to getting back over uh, to be able to see family and friends. Uh, my my home is Auckland. I've been over here for 15 years. Uh, we're deep in the process of setting up a footprint in New Zealand off the back of two uh, funds that. Uh, we're working on. One is in late stage development called Tupuna Hapri, which is a community infrastructure fund. Uh, the other work we're doing is with MFAT on designing a blended finance vehicle for uh, Pacific communities who have been partic particularly hit hard by COVID, uh, as we all have. A bright light group uh, spun out of Christian Super here in Australia. It's a as the name suggests, a superannuation fund managing around 1.5 billion. Uh, 10 years ago, or over 10 years ago now, uh, the investment team decided to pivot 10% of that portfolio to impact investing. So there's quite a deep uh, history of experience in thinking about impact investing, both in emerging markets uh, and developed economies. Uh, why do we exist? to move capital to positively transform lives. So I know we're going to wrestle with the question about uh, measuring impact later, but it really does matter to us to be able to quantify the depth, breadth, length, duration, sustainability of impact uh, from a beneficiary outcome perspective. I think I'll leave it there, Stephen, and I can field and contribute to other questions along the way. Well, that's great. Thank you so much. And thank you to all the panelists for your perspectives. I think if people just, if they only listen to those, um, this first path, they'll have gotten a really good snapshot of where we're at and what, what's actually happening. So what we're going to do now is move into a little bit of a discussion, a back and forth, and any of the panelists are welcome to contribute here. Um, I'd like to kick off the topic. Um, I'm not sure how many of you are aware of the Global Impact Investing Network. Um, so they've got a great bunch of resources and information 
And some of the work that they're doing is showing that there's interest around the world. And it comes back to something you said, David, at the start that, you know, there really is a growth in interest. And I'm just curious from, from anyone who wants to contribute here, what, what do we think is shifted? Is it, did we get to 2020? Is it that somehow COVID is causing people to think about this more? My own theory is that with low interest rate environment, people are looking at the term deposits and thinking maybe I could get more impact than just the interest from a standard investment. And they're thinking, what if I had social, you know, environmental or cultural or some other impact as well? But I'm just curious for the panel, what's, what's your um, take on why there is interest at the moment? I think that um, if I'm going to be, be, bold and jump in. I think that there's a couple of things that have been brought home by the COVID crisis, which have caused people to look at a trend that was there already. Um, we don't here in Aotearoa have the same level of push from the young people that you see in some other countries. But what's happened in COVID and what people have seen happening in COVID and having more time to watch the news and, and think about things like Black Lives Matter and think about things like climate change, we have seen much more about inequality, social injustice, climate change, and it's woken us up. Uh, a few months ago, I was on a panel where somebody said that in Kolkata this year at, in May, for the first time in 50 years, people could see the Himalayas because of the decrease in pollution levels due to COVID. But we've seen so much more in terms of um, what's going on in, in social inequities here in, in our own country and worldwide, and it's stirred a desire to do something and to respond to it. And I think COVID has therefore been a catalyst rather than anything else. Thank you for that thought. Yeah, does, it, does any other panelists have a thought to share? Um, yeah, so just quickly to add to that, um, is what we've seen, and, and I think we probably can all relate to this, is, you know, COVID didn't create inequality, it just put a spotlight on it. And I think what it did is it woke people up, particularly in the investment space and in the corporate space, to think, well, how can we contribute solutions to that? And what we need to do is we need to be able to activate that quickly and be able to turn that into tangible investment and, and um, procurement and um, capability support that's available to be able to accelerate some of these solutions. But we really need to be focused on how do we support things now that can deliver to not only the social inequality that COVID put a spotlight out, but more importantly, to think about climate change. And more and more of, of us focusing on that and having discussions on that will hopefully result in more solutions being found. And if we don't do that, then we'll look at this experience that we've all gone through, this, this tragedy that that is not only a health tragedy, but also an economic tragedy and think, well, we, we gave up this opportunity and how you know we all have a role in that as James was talking about as as KiwiSave investors um, as consumers but also as leaders in the impact investing space we must demand action and we must be responsible for contributing to that to the solutions that we all need in this regard Stephen I just wonder if I could actually make a comment here yes please okay um, 
I agree with what the previous speakers have actually said. Um, but the voices and the cries for um, uh, more sustainable ways of um, behaviour, um, I think, have long been um, ignored. And I think it is the, um, the trajectory towards extinction from a planetary point of view and the fact that COVID was, um, was quite a great leveller and the fact that our young people had been protesting before COVID because they're actually going into a future that's actually pretty murky for them has actually um, created a movement. And I think that movement is actually forcing those who are in power that, um, to actually be far more relevant and less tone deaf to what the community actually wants from them. Um, and so I think it's... Um, um, there is an element of goodwill there, and I think some of those who are, you know, um, sitting in the impact space are the trendsetters in terms of, you know, creating the, the, the movement for that to happen. Um, but I think what COVID actually did is, it, it, is that it, it had created um, more of those uh, who um, are in the underserved, uh, in the sense that they in the, in the underserved category, in the sense that they lost jobs, um, and that their futures became really uncertain, and that actually became really unpalatable to society. And we moved all of these resources in a really quick space of time into areas where we said previously we couldn't afford to do that. Mm -hmm. And finally, we found the actual motivation to be able to do that. My hope is that we actually learn from this and actually um, create new normals in terms of what good looks like for us as a country mm. as a result of it. Mm. Thank you for that. Those comments are right on point. And I think it, it's amazing, isn't it, to think that we solved the issue of homelessness overnight almost, you know, and, and yet it had been going. So do we return to the way things were or do we realize that it is possible to have meaningful change moving forward? And I know, Rebecca, that was a theme in, in the paper that Build Back Better. We'll put a link to it. Um, yeah. Mark, you've unmuted. Did you have a thought as well to share? Hi. Just to say, I think impact investing is maturing. Uh, and the gen, recent GIN report was now we've got to focus on impact performance, not proof of concept of the idea. And so you're seeing a whole lot of uh, representatives of public interest, governments, community trust funds, saying we can catalyze uh, social and environmental solutions. But how do we do that with, with authenticity? How do we make sure that the data is going to give evidence of true transformation? Uh, because we can't play around the edges anymore. If we go to scale, we've got to get the right data and focus on comparability, reliability of impact performance, which is what I think everyone's who's observing the movement is looking for for us all to step up and, and, and authenticate what we're doing. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'd like to take that point and run with that little rabbit hole. And I'm interested in something that you said, Louise, about the number of people that had been looked at before investments were, were decided. And before the, before the panel, keep questions coming to the Q&A, by the way, because we will get to them. But somebody had emailed me, um, Stephanie from Venture Taranaki, and she said, I'd be keen to understand more around how impact investments are being made or decided on. For example, a financial investment would normally take into account two main factors, return on investment and risk along with an investment being financially viable and impact investment would have wider considerations. Do these considerations all get translated into quantitative financial outcomes as well? And if so, is there some standards? 
Um, I don't know, Louise, you, you might want to take that one and then open it up to others. That's an easy one. <laughs> that's, that's an easy one. Yeah. I mean, so th this is this is the rub, right? <laughs> is that, you know, normal uh, investment will, will take into account that, that, that risk and return. Uh, and then when you add the component of impact and their positive, measurable social and environmental impact, as well as cultural impact, you have such an increase in complexity there. Uh, with, our, with our fund, which is a very small fund, we raise 9 million, we've got a 15% um, return on investment. So we are at that very higher end of, of the investment uh, spectrum or the return spectrum. You know, we, we have to be able to um, make that decision. And, and we've got a large team of people because when you also think about impact, it is subjective. Of course it is. Um, we use the impact, um, uh, the IMP, so the uh, impact measurement uh, project to be able to define what, what how we measure impact and, and work with those organisations that we either are looking to invest in or particularly we we provide deep support for those that we are investing in to be able for, for them to be able to measure uh, and track their impact, um, particularly important to measure the improvement of impact and obviously how that uh, the, the capital injection not only increases um, and, and delivers a financial return, but how is it also increasing and accelerating the impact. Um, but of course, it is subjective um, and it will always be subjective um, and particularly when you get into the social impact side the environmental side is that there is a lot more obviously um you know, measurement data points science supporting that but certainly in the in uh, in the social space it is subjective and that's got to be something that we accept and celebrate um, because sometimes you might not even have a data point to be able to measure your impact you actually might even just have a case study or a story of one person who was impacted by your um, by your whatever your solution is. So um, it is complex and I, I can see David's just taken himself off mute. So I'm sure he has a lot of comments in this as well. But this is something that is really challenging for us in this space is like any investor, you've got to be able to weigh up all components. And when you add impact in there, it just gets even even more complex, but also what a significant opportunity we have. And I, I think just to add to that, I think Lou is right on that one, because I think this triangulation of risk, return and impact, when the Impact Enterprise Fund started, I don't think that was all that well realized by uh, the people looking at joining the fund. And if you want to have a high return and a high impact, you're going to have to take a high risk. It's uh, And that kind of debate means that certain kinds of impact investments, investments suit certain investors better. I think, uh, to just to add to what Louise then said, environmental impact is easier to measure. In social impact, you come up with a lot of non-financial measures. You try and keep it as objective as you can. There is a debate at the global level as to whether you should or shouldn't monetize social impact. Is it appropriate to put a monetary value on social impact? And there's a lot of divided opinion uh, internationally and here in New Zealand, because most of the funds that are there follow the impact management project, as Lou, Lou outlined, but the, the new Tapuna Hapuri Fund is likely to follow Huber Social, which leans much more on the social side of it. And Mark Ingram can talk about that. This Rebecca. is a. Uh, 
Oh, sorry, you, you go, Stephen. Apologies. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. It's fine. I, I was just going to say it's an utterly fascinating debate. Um, subjectivity or objectivity of social impact, it, can it be compared? Uh, we're on an experiment with Huber Social, as da uh, David mentioned, to look at how you can compare an index and look at relative deprivation and put a weighted score, not to monetize impact, but to weight the comparability of helping people in uh, isolated uh, rural uh, geographies in New Zealand versus urban centres that have higher indicators of deprivation. There's lots of data out there. The beauty of the year 2020 is that there's pockets of secondary data and the ability to gain primary data and um, heat map uh, the country of New Zealand. And indeed, if you look at what the UN's doing with the SDGs, heat map the planet. So we know where it's most important to move capital for what particular social needs exist. And I think the debate will rage for quite some time, but we're, we're very actively thinking how we can move capital on a per million dollar weighted basis to the highest indicators of deprivation we can. Thanks, Mark. I know, Rebecca, you were unmuted, so you go ahead next. Sure. I mean, just, just to add to this, although it's true, um, and just before getting into this, for, for those on the call who, who don't realise, the Impact Man Management Project, there's a framework of five dimensions of impact. It's really a frame for how you could start to think about measurement rather than a, a system to sort of quantify impacts. And taking it back a step um, in this debate of are we going to be using impact-weighted accounts, should we monetize impact, how do we quantify versus qualify, one of the areas that we've been doing a lot of work in the, in the last couple of years is if we really take that step back and go, well, actually, let's think about globally and nationally as a system, what are our shared goals of where we're heading to? Um, and then how do we, through that kind of heat mat, highly leveraged process, get to those most quickly? So how do we take a systems approach to impact measurement? Because there's one, um, I guess, agenda which we are, as humans, it's great to kind of uh, grapple and want to hold on to measuring different activities. Um, but are, are they actually tangible real world outcomes? that lead us to shifting the system at the scale and pace that we need. We need to have carbon emissions in the next 10 years. We need systems level change and we need better ways to measure systems level impact. Otherwise, we're just measuring a whole lot of stuff that may not matter. So how do we measure what matters? Mm -hmm. That's really good, thank you. Um, I'm gonna to go to you next, James, but before I do that, Liam, I'm really curious um, in your perspective as well, so I'll come to you after James. <laughs> Just because you represent a foundation and from what you were saying in the intro that you actually looked at your SIPO and that there were things that got changed. And I would be really curious in that because I think this is part of the conversation is how do we have, how do we help people who have the funds and who potentially could be the investors into things that are measurable and we know are doing good, but they may say, well, I've got this document that was drafted years ago and I have to stick with it. So I'd, I just would be curious on your perspective on that. But first with James, um, I know that you're kind of in the day-to-day -day here as an impact investor and, and, and we've had discussions over glasses of wine about this, um, you know, looking at the impact because you, you talked about community finance and social housing. Can you just talk through some of the other types of impact that you're looking to have in terms of environment or other things? 
Yeah, and and um, that was really helpful. You learn something every time with impact investing, don't you? So it's great to be on, on this panel and learning. Um, so thank you, everyone. I think there's two parts to it on on my side here, which is impact reporting is is so important, you know, right? And it's how we ensure there isn't something like greenwashing happening here. And I think that would be a real travesty if we just take existing products and and relabel them. So we want to avoid that. From my side also, we don't want to overcomplicate it too. You know, if we're looking at something like social housing, if there is someone who's been, for this is a real example that we've been proud to be part of, someone who was homeless for seven years, who is now in a home and they've got security of tenure, we don't need too much data to know that is a positive social outcome as well. So we've certainly been doing a lot of work and talking with a lot of people around the country. You know, there's baseline metrics that you report on. There's qualitative impact measurements you can and must look at. But also at its simple form, I don't think people are going to say they don't want to see their investments contributing to positive outcomes. Around the world, there is so much data showing if we put someone into a warm, dry house, it's one of the best income uh, impacts you can have. On top of that, though, the sky's the limit for all of us, too, because if you are building new social houses, are we just going to build them quick and cheap and say, great job, we've now taken four houses and put 20 on? Or are we looking 30 years ahead, considering the climate and sustainability issues as well? Why aren't we working with the New Zealand Green Building Council and building them to a higher home star standard as well, putting solar panels on the top? and getting people off the street. So that's innately good on its own. And impact reporting, I think, will keep improving it. But I don't also want to see that as being the reason people are not investing right now, because there's a world of data that supports doing this already. Thank you, James. Now, back to you, Liam. I'm, I'm really, I'm honestly just curious in the process that you all went through, because I think it's a great example of, of a large organization that is doing good. And I'm just curious um, for your perspective. Yeah, I, I just wonder if I could maybe kill a few, a few birds with one stone and answer a couple of the questions that have come through in, in my answer as well. There's a concern raised, and I guess probably an understandable one, that um, impact investment is the, next, is the latest bright, shiny thing. And I think that, that was the phrase that was used and that it detracts from, I guess, certainly in our case, the core business of grant in from our investment returns. Um, that's certainly not the case. In fact, if anything, um, the reason we probably haven't made um, as much progress as we might have done is caution on the part of our governors about that. I think it is it is very clear that for us it's an and, not, a, not an instead of, in terms of the balance sheet and the income and expenditure account to help our communities. Um, the other, one of the other questions was our expected returns. And this is, I'd really like to pay tribute to Alistair Rhodes from Baytrust on this, who's really got a, a great um, way of cutting through the BS. And he, um, some of the challenges we had was, well, if you go into impact invest in, you have to make your target rate of return, which for us is 5% plus inflation. So in a normal year, it could be as high as 7%. And Alistair quite rightly said, well, look, you don't, we don't demand that of our bond portfolio. So um, if you look at it incrementally and say, right, you must, you must make your overall rate of return or your target rate of return, you'll, 
you'll never do impact investing. If you look at it sensibly and say, well, parts of our portfolio are only making 2% anyway, so why don't we take the money for impact investing out of um, that part of the portfolio? And so that's what we've done. And I mean, I, I have to acknowledge on behalf of the organiser, our organisation, we are lucky in that we can agree to make take a concessionary rate of return. But I think the way that Alice deposits the situation is is quite right. So what we have done is set up a small allocation of 2% in our, in, in our asset allocation for impact investing. Um, we have transfer, effectively transferred that allocation from our fixed income and cash portfolio, which, um, you know, in the current climate doesn't doesn't return a great deal anyway and and so we've now got the opportunity to make that same return and achieve social impact as well so um, I, I mean I think it's it's been a, a, a great learning experience for us and um, I just hope we can go on from here and execute it well I like, I know, the, way you, that, I like the way you phrase that as well because it is it's it's just logical, isn't it? If you've got some funds here earning 2% and you could reallocate them over here and know that there's greater impact, like why wouldn't you, right? Yeah, and as I say, Alistair from Baytrust was very um, helpful to us in helping to uh, help us, helping us to understand that. So I'd like to pay tribute to him for that. That's great. Well, what we can do, we can send out some material afterwards to people. So if you've got any resources, this is to the panelists or the people listening um, that you'd like to share with the community, then if you email them, I'm happy to put in links to what, what we're seeing. Um, Rangi Maria, I'd love to turn the conversation back to where we, we began it and thinking about the iwi perspective. And if you have a look in the Q&A, there's several people that have put questions there. Um, and I'd like, if, if it's okay, if you could have a look at those and then think about your response. But while you do that, um, Pip, I'd be curious for your perspective, because some people have mentioned the term greenwashing a couple times now, and just really interested, given your background and having a focus on climate change and sustainability, um, could you give us some thoughts about that in the impact investing um, context? Yeah, sure. And uh, maybe I'll just try to answer a couple, of, make it a bit broader than that to, to a couple of the questions as well. So I guess um, in terms of um, from our perspective, why we feel like there is suddenly a huge shift towards this area, um, it probably fo follows on from what Rangi Mario was saying as well around almost hitting this tipping point that our current economic system um, can no longer continue um, the way it does function. So I think there's a realisation that we actually have uh, we are now starting to see extreme inequality, extreme environmental impacts. Um, and as Matt Winneray would say, who, who is the chair of the Sustainable Finance Forum, we've been using natural and social capital to create financial capital. Uh, and we've depleted, I guess, our, our resources of envir environmental and social capital to a point where that, that method is no longer um, really viable. Um, and it's quite interesting when you think about kind of the way you measure impact. One of the key things is who experiences that impact. Um, and, you know, that is from, I guess, our perspective of, of trying to bring mainstream along for the journey. One of the challenges, if that 
it's not the organisation experiencing the impact. Um, it's harder to get people to, to appreciate the value. And so as you start looking at things like climate change, where it's a global impact, it becomes even harder to, to make a company um, make a f financial shift um, that would val which would, I guess, um, be valued by all. And that's quite challenging. Um, and again, um, uh, we have we have been doing some um, engagement um, with EWE to try and understand their well view and and how you know they they view this and it's been quite interesting to really understand that actually you know there are no externalities um, because it is all in the whole system um, is one thing and so therefore um, the, these things like climate change aren't things that that the value is elsewhere you know we are part of this big system and so it's that change in mindset I think is what we're seeing being triggered um, as people realize that actually their kids aren't going to have the same life um, the same life um, opportunities that we may have had um, uh, so I think that that's that's quite interesting in terms of the shift we're seeing um, in terms of greenwashing um, the one thing I thought w worth just quickly touching on is um, the developments out of particularly the EU so they have developed quite a quite a detailed taxonomy that looks at um, environmental sustainability. Um, the way it's structured is they basically have a set of criteria that says you cannot do any significant harm to a range of environmental issues and you have to contribute significantly to one area and the focus at the moment is on climate change. Uh, it's very, very detailed in terms of the, the technical requirements and it covers most sectors in the economy. But that that's called the EU taxonomy and it's supported by regulation that requires large companies and investors to start reporting against the investments they have against the taxonomy. So what percentage are in things that align to the taxonomy and, and don't align. And uh, any new financial products have to report as to whether they align or, or they're not using the taxonomy. And large companies have to start reporting their OPEX and CAPEX against the taxonomy as well. So this is really fundamentally shifting, um, I guess, the, the kind of mainstream to start thinking and reporting as to what of their what part of their activities are environmentally sustainable and I think that's a huge development in terms of um, reducing greenwashing. Great, thank Stephen, you. if I can just add to what Pip just said, the UNDP, UNDP is also uh, introducing their SDG impact standards for enterprises, which are a shorter and easier version for companies to look at. Um, I agree the, the EU bond green bond taxonomy is terrific, but it's 403 pages. Um, and um, the Australian National Advisory Board um, are helping to lead this movement to produce an alternative set. And we will see other alternative sets as well. That's great, thank you. So um, we're at one o'clock. I realize many people have other things to go to, but we're gonna keep going for another 10, 15 minutes just to, so that we can go through some of these questions. Um, but also, I'm going to go out on a limb and commit that we'll take all the questions and I'll circulate them to the panelists. And if any of them have views, then what we might do is get them to type out an answer. Um, sorry, I don't want to overcommit you, so whoever is willing, um, because we're not going to be able to get through all of the questions. I already know that. Um, but then we can circulate that as a, as a follow-up next week sometime um, as well. Um, Rangi Maria, I'd, I'd love to turn to you if it's okay, just because I think this is really important and what you touched on is really unique and important for our context in Aotearoa, particularly the Te Ao Māori perspective. And having been involved in impact investing yourself, I'm just curious, um, there's actually a question there, I think from Kate saying, what do you invest in? How do you go about it? 
I just am curious from your perspective, um, from Iwi perspective, can you give us some thoughts about that? Yeah, sure. Um, and thank you, Kate, for, for the question. So the things that, say, using Te Pairoa Tika as an example, that um, iwi would be investing into, um, well, particularly Te Pairoa Tika, there'd be any projects that would, um, and, and this actually uh, links into things around, you know, being inclusive um, as well as being regenerative in the sort of footprint that we want to leave uh, on the planet. So the projects that they would invest in are by Māori, for Māori, they're tikanga led, so the values driven, uh, it's also investment driven, um, and also that there's a measurable and a meaningful impact. They applied their systems lens to the sorts of projects that they were looking to bring through. And what they've prioritised to actually invest into is things such as housing, to go to the point that James actually made, is if we actually wanted to build a, a good economy, um, then it's actually really important that we focus on our people because we consider our people to be in our economy. And we actually need them to have actually a stable environment from which to work and bring up their families. So housing was actually one of the key priorities for them. Also, um, reforestation. Forestation. Uh, there's a lot of uh, marginal erosion prone land and so the uh, option to be actually reforest in native um, forestry um, and have that finance through carbon um, is also an option that they're, they're looking at bringing through investment. Uh, and there's aquaculture, there's things such as um, renewable energy. So if they were, we have the highest uh, power prices in New Zealand and Taitokero and the highest level of deprivation. So actually um, having you know access to renewable energy provides both um, sort of cheaper sources of power and then energy resilience as well. Looking at um, digital inclusion, uh, particularly with COVID, uh, when schools went onto digital platforms, that didn't help those in remote communities who actually can't afford to um, connect to the internet. So. Um, so it's all about actually trying to create an environment that basically enables our people to, to, to prosper. And the things that we would say just around measurement and how we applied systems thinking to our ability to um, ensure that we were investing into the things that would have the most impact for us. Um, what Taitohira Iwi did is that they took their outcomes and then they mapped them to the sustainable development goals. Now, this is where the sustainable development goals serve the Māori purpose rather than being the Māori purpose being reduced into a set of goals. And the same thing goes for impact measurement as well. Um, and they use the research that sat, sat underneath the sustainable development goals and the connective came in and they did a lot of systems modelling. And that enabled them to understand the interdependencies between the suite of projects that they were looking to do so that they could actually understand what the risks were and what the trade-offs would need to be, and then to actually drill into and understand where the greatest live, um, where they could have the, the greatest impact. So it's basically using that sort of modelling that is driving where, they, um, where they're choosing to direct their investment into. How they would identify what good looks like and what, um, how they would measure that impact. Uh, one of the really interesting things is that if you're actually designing impact measures in a boardroom or on a whiteboard and you're actually not actually engaging with the communities that you're trying to impact, and then how useful are those measures? So what the, we will be doing or what has come through is that the measures will be, that we'll be using are actually designed by those whose lives we're trying to transform. 
Um, and then there's an easy ability to work those back into some of the more international and, 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 um, and, and other sorts of frameworks. So, I mean, it's quite, um, it's quite complex, um, but not impossible. Um, to be able to do all of the things that have been discussed across the panel. Um, and I guess being able to endemically have a, a systems lens as one of your defaults makes it fairly um, not easy, but possible um, for, for iwi. And so um, if you consider that, then the scale of impact that um, that is possible uh, through um, uh, transforming Kaitokoro for good or Te Pai is is quite significant. And so that's just what um, impact investing looks like from a te ao Māori point of view. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I think I, I think all of us, the panelists included, appreciate that uh, perspective. And I think it does, it does give a unique grounding to our conversation here in Aotearoa um, that I think maybe is missing from some other parts of the world. And I'm really thankful for that. It's, it's awesome. Um, I'd actually, so we've got some Q&A that's come through. We're not going to be able to go through all of them, but like I said, we will try to get some answers together as a panel and come back and send those out later because I think there's some excellent questions there, um, but each of them could probably go for an hour. So um, what I'd like to do is finish off um, with some reflections from each of the panelists who are left. Um, and the context is this, some of the people have said in the Q&A, what sort of structures would be appropriate? You know, what about charity? What about companies? What about other things? And I feel like this is an opportunity because we live in a unique country, which is small and is progressive, is able to implement change. So I'd just be keen to get you, your panelists perspective on the future and where you think we're headed. Um, I know Louise Akina has been doing some work in terms of future legal structures and, and there's a report that we'll, we'll put in the email that goes out. And I know you're having conversations about that topic as well, because part of it is about enabling uh, education about what all this is, empowering people to have the skills to actually be able to run businesses that are then ready for the impact but also about making the, uh, the ecosystem ready for it as well. Um, so I think that's a whole, probably another conversation, but um, I'd be keen for each of your perspectives, maybe as your final thoughts for the, for the people who are listening and, and um, thinking about the future and the unique place that we are here in Aotearoa. Uh, kia ora, Stephen. I think that, um you know, you, you kind of answered um, the the question there is we've got, you know, legal structures aren't going to just be the one solution that's required here. Um, you know, education is quite significant. And I think it, it has already been mentioned is that, you know, we don't have to wait. Uh, we can already start doing and we already are doing. So how do we educate people to understand what is possible within their current structures, whether it's legal or not, um, what what are the opportunities that are already out there for them to invest in or, or for them to be investable? Um, how do we build capability around those organisations, both from um, an investor and an investee standpoint, um, to ensure that the right forms of capital is directed to the right organisations and is used correctly um, uh, to accelerate impact? But also then, how do we look at those, at you know, what are the tools that we have and how do we improve those tools to enable more uh, impact investing? 
there is a significant need for us to be able you know, to increase our uh, capacity and capability around structuring. How do we take models that are used internationally that we seem to be a little bit risk averse to here um, for whatever reasons? How do we bring those into, uh, you know, into the agencies, into the investment market um, and, and accelerate those? Um, and then you get into the regulatory and the legislation space. And I think that is always going to be the, the, the final frontier. Um, let's figure out exactly what we can do um, by educating and enabling first, and then um, identify what other solutions to improve, um, you know, some of our legal structures that are already highly flexible. Um, how do we make sure that people know uh, and can and choose the right ones? I, I agree with Lou. I think that uh, one of the big changes that I think we could really could really help us in, in Aotearoa enormously is to get outcomes-based finance more accepted particularly by the government who take a bit of a yes minister attitude to it. Uh, and I think that there's an awful lot more we can do. We can't afford to provide public services on the level of a Netherlands or Germany, but we don't pay 60% tax either. So I think that by using this uh, evidence-based approach of saying, if we generate an outcome of this, then the government should pay part of what they've saved, that enables us to bring a whole new perspective on the way we finance social and environmental questions. I'd just add to that because I just completely agree um, with David and Lou that one of the big leverage points for this country is outcomes-based financing and, and having that understood of what the change we're wanting to make within government and starting at that level. And I would just say to the people on the call who have the questions about structuring measurement etc that if we start at that you know that that primary question of what's the change we want to make who do we want to make the change with um, and then reaching out to see what systems and structures can su support that rather than the other way around that's quite a helpful way to approach things um, and then finally um, the why to, to all of this becomes clear and we're able to really think about measurement which is fit for purpose that's going to create that meaningful impact. I totally echo the other panellists. Meaningful is in the eye of the beholder, the community define well-being and then you structure up a solution but you've got to start from centering yourself on listening, listening and then creating a solution. That The legal structuring comes later. We'll bring in the lawyers later on Stephen. But uh, make sure that, that we're aligned with what the community needs in their own mind. Yeah, well, I endorse that just to have said it. <laughs> How about any other panelists who haven't spoken to finish this off? Maybe James and Pip and Rangi Murray? Yeah, um, I'm just going to agree again. Sorry, but I, I, I love what's been said. Perhaps just um, answering one of the questions on the Q&A so I can say I've been proactive there. Um, and having learned actually a lot from you too, Stephen, about this being a paradigm shift. But I think the funny thing is, is that if we were to design society with a clean sheet now, I don't think many people would actually design where we've ended up, you know, in this current state where we did get to um, profits to shareholders being far too much 
being a company is about, you know, to actually start thinking about other stakeholders, the environment, sustainability, the social impact. Actually, we will all be wealthier and it will be a better world out of that. Um, one of the questions was about the place of donations, though, and I think there is a little bit of fear about is this something shiny and new? Um, and I think just on that one, again, just going to the housing example, you know, as a country, we've underinvested for 30 years. In, in, in housing, if you look at it as infrastructure. And we can't afford to fix this with donations. And it's a lot to expect the government on its own to fix this as well. So I think if we all say we want to be part of the solution, we care about our people, then impact investing has to be a big chunk of this answer because we don't have actually a shortage of money. There is capital everywhere. I think the challenge has been how do we find a way to make it accessible and able to build a bridge between that capital and some of the many worthy projects that are already happening. Um, I mean, what we've seen so often is there's some, you know, established, for example, charities. Um, these might be a community housing provider. They, they might have had a 100-year track record of doing this successfully. It is not high risk to back them. But if they want to do something, they're ever relying on donations, the government, and then to borrow, they've often had to go to mainstream lenders, which, you know, to date have had a very profit-centric focus. So all of us, you know, by working together and building bridges and creating intermediaries and options, I think we will actually find a new way where we get the financial returns and we can start achieving some really exciting things environmentally and socially. Um, this isn't actually rocket science. Thanks, James. That's awesome. How about you, Pip? Uh, I think, I mean, I just, just reiterate those comments. I mean, this isn't rocket science. This needs to happen, uh, particularly in COVID recovery. We, we are spending so much money um, in the COVID recovery that we have, um, we just can't continue on the path we're on. So um, I think this is just a huge opportunity and um, uh, yeah, I think, I, I actually think it's, it's inevitable. It's just whether we want to kind of be leading um, or I guess following. Yep, that's awesome. And Rangimari. Okay, um, I, it's been very um, actually enlightening um, being part of this conversation and listening to the other speakers. And I guess if I was to leave with any thoughts, what I would say is this, if you want to understand a problem in your country, you need to focus on who profits from that problem and not who suffers from the problem. And I think that's, there are threads of that that have sort of come through um, today. I think really if we wanted to shift the dial, I think the the issue is actually around mindsets and actually sharing power. And I um, I just want to applaud those who have been on the panel today because you're a profile in courage um, and, and not prepared to, to you know, um, settle for the status quo. And um, there was a saying that I think I saw uh, quoted and stuff yesterday that actually courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. And um, so I just exhort you to keep doing the good work that you're doing out there. And thank you. That's great. Thank you so much. And there's um, clearly in the Q&A, there was lots of comments saying this is a great discussion and I wish it could go longer and that type of thing. Um, one of my ideas is that this would become sort of a series of conversations. You know, that it's we, using technology, we're all across the country, but here we are, you know. Um, so I think we will try to hold something again in the future and um, just keep conversations like this going because I think this is where you know, this is where the rubber meets the road. It's not just theoretical. We're actually hearing from people who are 
implementing these things. So um, it just leaves me to say thank you so much to the panelists. Really appreciate your wisdom and your time. Each of you brought a unique lens on impact investing. And that was my hope, actually, that, that we would get a good cross-section of what's going on here in Aotearoa. Um, there is a lot of resources out there for those of you listening in. If you Google um, Impact Investing Network, for example, um, or the Global Impact Investing Network, there's a lot of material there. And I'll try and put some links in a follow-up email. Um, but I just encourage you to check that out. And here in New Zealand as well, there's people who are actively doing the mahi. Um, I, as soon as I finish this, I'm going to hit leave and then it's going to save it to my hard drive, I hope, and I think it will. Um, and then I'm going to go home and edit the audio file um, because, as I said at the start, I've been doing the Seeds podcast. So one way to get information out is through the podcast that now has 204 episodes. Um, usually I interview people about their life story and I try to find out where they're from and why that shaped them into what they do uh, today. Um, so, for example, last week was the Honorable Poto Williams. Um, so she's the Minister for the Community and Voluntary Sector. So we heard all about her life, you know, Cook Island's background and, and what it's like being the minister, having worked in the charitable sector. So um, if you haven't checked it out, obviously, this is a plug. Have a look. Uh, there's, it's been listened to 77,000 times. So there's quite a few people out there listening. Um, but this episode, I hope, will be something that is helpful for those um, both to reflect back and maybe listen in again on everything that we talked about. I know I'm gonna listen again. Um, so yeah, I just wanna say thank you so much, every attendee, and I know there's many things in our lives and not everybody could make it, but maybe you're listening afterwards, so welcome. And uh, thank you so much, kia ora, to the panelists, and thank you for joining us today. Cheers. Thank you for arranging it all, yeah. Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that session about impact investing. I know I'm going to be listening back to this several times because there was lots of wisdom among the panelists. And once again, a huge thank you to them for sharing with us their knowledge. If you enjoyed this, then why not check out some of the other episodes in the back catalog, because this is number 205. And you can find information about what we spoke about in the show notes, as well as at theseeds.nz. And if you're listening in a podcasting app, why not hit subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes? Until next time.